Are you a leader in customer success, pre-sales, professional services, support? Do you work behind the scenes and roll up your sleeves to make sure that customers are happy? Renew. Then this is for you. Welcome to the GSD Podcast. Welcome to the GSD Podcast. Getting it done. Services, success, and software. We'll talk with the pros that have been in the trenches, getting service teams off the ground, launching new types of groups to service customers, or running agencies that don't have a product attached to it. For the pros, by the pros. This is the GSD Podcast, and this is your host, Jeff Kushmerick. Hey, just wanted to introduce you to this next podcast with uh, Meg Lovell, who I met on a panel a few months ago, who just blew me away with not only just her passion for implementation, but just had some some ideas that uh, maybe I had thought about or been too scared to implement before or had gotten pushback, but she um, went right out and did some things and, uh, I'm, I'm just going <laughs> to not spell the secrets. You want you to listen to the podcast, but Meg's awesome. And also, uh, uh, another caffeine junkie like myself, although I've been trying to wean off, but, um, so that's what the first part of this conversation, um, you just hit record. We we're <laughs> talking about caffeine levels and the milligrams and everything else. And, and then the conversation just kind of kept going from there. So, um, uh, really enjoyable. If you're doing anything involved with implementation, if you've got projects that are going lo- are going long, having problems getting them live, having problems getting your uh, senior level people to accept some changes you're trying to do, get implementations charged for and set durations, definitely give this a, a, a listen and uh, take notes because uh, Meg's just chock full of information. So enjoy. We were just talking about our caffeine junkiness and Meg is the first person I've met not on Reddit that talked about caffeine and milligrams, um, which is what I used to do before I quit. I also thought when I quit that I would be a very calm, like that guy, everybody's like, what's he going to say? But no, I'm still all fired up and everything. It's not the caffeine. So, (laughs) Hey, 900 milliliters a day keeps the gremlins away. Oh my God. I know that's a, that's a powerful dose. And uh, what time's your last one? Is it at two? Do you hit the two o'clock? Oh no. Before lunch. Definitely before lunch. Oh, okay. So you get 900 in before lunch. That, that is why you're able. So Meg's pretty powerful for my interactions with her. That now I know how you just charge <laughs> through everything. It's amazing. So why don't you talk about your current role at current company? Couldn't remember if we could, we could mention it or not. So I'm going to leave it up to you. Well, yeah, no, I'm currently employed at Everbridge. I've actually been with the company for about 10 years. And I originally joined up with the company. And one of my first big projects there was working with our implementations organization. So I have, you know, 10 years of experience in implementation from building teams, building processes, working with customers. And now I'm actually working on the flip side. I am working with other vendors now to implement new products and business strategies. Yeah, this is great. I love that background because we geeked out for quite a while when we got into implementation. So I wanted to get other people who were, you know, thrust into the role or wondering if they're doing it right and everything. So I'm just assuming when you took it over, everything in, at Everbridge was just 
smooth sailing. You just have to go in and make a couple tweaks, right? Just uh, easy day and just a uh, couple PowerPoints and you were done. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, it's actually a very interesting process because we were looking to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace. Yeah. And we saw an opportunity to do that with our implementation process because, you know, 10 years ago, a very common strategy with implementations is to throw bodies at it yeah. and to, you know, basically make your people available for endless amounts of hours to handhold the customers through. And while that, you know, as, as these SaaS products really came into their own with remote implementations, it really worked to an extent but it's not really what customers want it need. And it just really doesn't scale economically for a company. Absolutely. Cause you know, if, if you go down that model, implementations take a really long time, but your company is trying to go like two X in customers every year. And you can't just go two X on employees every year. Right. So. Exactly. Exactly. And, and actually to go back to that statement, you said about <laughs> implementations take a really long time. Do they? How many, oh, implementations, <laughs> how many implementations have you been through? And you've been through a nine month, you know, plus implementation and you get to the end of that project and you think, why did that take so long? I felt like I did three weeks worth of work. How did that get spread out over nine months? And that actually is a very good question. And that's really at the core of the way that I drive implementations. Yeah. Because what are you doing in that white space? You know, what, there's a lot of time in implementation where both parties are doing nothing. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's chat about that because I know we we got into the details on this and we both share similar <laughs> thoughts on this. A couple of ways we can approach it, but I will say the usual problems, and I'd love to hear how you address them. Is that uh, no fixed duration, no fixed cost. Customer feels like they can take as long as they want on the implementation. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's a matter of, you know, the customer feels that they can take as long as they want. We're allowing that situation. We're enabling bad behavior. Right. You know, a customer truly wants to get ROI out of the product right away. I yeah. mean, how embarrassing is it to buy a product and all of a sudden your accounting team tells you that your renewal has come in? And how is the product working? Are we renewing this? You're like, well, I haven't implemented it yet. So yeah. that's not going to bode well as, as a purchaser. Right you've just bought this product, your company's invested, but they're not getting any value at it. On the flip side, as a vendor delivering implementations, again, you have your people are engaged in a low value activity that you're spending a high amount of money on because these days implementation specialists are, are paid very well yeah. for their skill set. And, and you don't want to waste the high skill set on that sort of activity if it's not going to be yielding results and value for the company. Absolutely. And on that note, on the finance team sends the, you know, sends you the renewal over the worst part about that is if it's not complete and now you've got to pay for both vendors, right? You're deprecating one vendor and then you're moving over to the next. That, that is, those are conversations that just never go over well. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, and if you work at a, a publicly traded company, you have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders to spend money wisely. And, and when those things come up, that's not yeah. being responsible. Yeah, absolutely. So what, how did you go addre addressing this and fixing it? I'm sure I knew it was a, a bunch of different ways, but if you don't mind sharing some of the, the big hitters. Yeah. Well, you know, think about it back in, you know, 10 years ago when, you know, there was, was wasn't a lot of software available other than the traditional, you know, big behemoth project management programs to manage 
we had, you know, these smaller SaaS-based onboardings coming into focus. And, you know, I, I basically approached this not as a project manager, but really from a psychology standpoint and human hmm. behavior. And I looked at it, you know, what is going to drive successful behavior in our customers? So we, you know, when you position yourself with unlimited implementation services, you are actually making your customer, you're, you're making yourself your lowest priority in your customer's day. Mm-hmm. If you don't have like perhaps limitations on your implementation service that you get X number of hours to be consumed in X time frame. That is the standard time frame for onboarding services mm-hmm. to be completed. You don't put those limitations in place, it's going to drag out and drag out. Right. So, you know, one of the first things that I always encourage people to do is, especially when you're working in, in a SaaS product, is eliminate the status call. Oh, yeah, this was the big one. I remember the first time I heard this, I kind of freaked out a little bit. So I'd love to hear you yeah. talk about it. Yeah. yeah, and why I say eliminate the status call, because in a lot of cases, people think of the status call as we're going to show up and we're going to talk about, we'll, we'll talk about stuff. Yeah. And when you say, and I hate the word stuff because it, it's so generic, yeah. because then you get on the call. The first thing you talk about is the weather. Here's the weather here. Here's the weather there. Here's how the local sports teams go did, you know, go team. <laughs> And then you have just blown a half hour of time. And when you think about the, the, the financial cost of that meeting and what you just spent on talking about the weather and the sports, and there was no agenda items, there was no, no one was held accountable to deliver anything to this meeting. Yeah. So when I say eliminate the status call, you're actually changing that to a meeting with an agenda. Never have a meeting without an agenda. Right. We're going to have a call where we traditionally have the status call and we are going to review these open action items. And, you know, everyone comes prepared to the meeting to talk through their items. Mm-hmm. What's blocking me? What's been accomplished? Even better if you have a system to track a lot of that automatically. Right. Yeah, absolutely. What do you lead some more productive meetings? What's your perspective? I never have a, I always do this situation. So I just love to hear your feedback on this one, but the classic, uh, Hey, we're going to meet Thursday at, 11 o'clock and then Wednesday, the customer says, not sure if we should meet. We didn't get to do any of the stuff that we were supposed to go do. So you cancel the meeting. Do you shame them? Do you try and work through stuff during that meeting? Personally, here's how I'd approach the situation. If that is an actual trend with our customers, I would put some sort of mechanism in place to get better leading indicators in place as to are they completing their activities? That's why, you know, I want my customers working on something that, you know, a predefined set of tasks yep. so that I can check in on that and make sure they're making progress. If the customer is not ready to meet, have a meeting, absolutely don't have a meeting if, if they have not completed their tasks. I mean, of course, there could be a situation where they do need to meet because they need to repeat the last meeting for whatever reason. Right, right, but right. I also push my customers too that, you know, if, if we are going to cancel that meeting at the very last second, that's still going to count against your billable hours because we have to add in that motivation ah, factor. Okay, I, I like that. That's that's good because you do you do use the hour. So you're you're selling these implementation hours on a billable basis. So my question to you on that on that point is, you have the meeting. It's scheduled for Thursday, eleven o'clock, and. Suddenly the customer is like, hey, we didn't get to any of these tasks that we were supposed to do. Can we just cancel the meeting? And I was curious what you do about that. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, a late cancel is a late cancel and that's still a billable hour. 
Yeah. And that goes back to that whole motivating the customer to make your work the highest priority. You do have to take that out of their allocation. Now, it's important that the customer knows at the beginning of the implementation process that any meetings canceled within 24 hours is still going to debit out of your bucket. And that helps motivate customers to complete things or it keeps those lines of communication open so that if they are slipping, yeah, things happen. You know, a fire breaks out and the customer has to address it. They've got to pause their implementation for a few days, but it makes sure that they stay in contact with your team because then your team can rebook with another customer so you don't have an idle resource working in implementation for that hour. No, absolutely. That's that's smart. So you're, are you selling hours or are you selling them as sort of fixed fee implementation projects? Well, it really depends on on the product. You know, there's a couple of ways that you go about it. If you have a a very, you know, a a SaaS product that, you know, 90% of your customers should be able to set it up in a certain time frame, you know, let's say, you know, it takes 15 hours over the course of two months and you put those services, you write them right into the contract. So they're there plain as day. Uh, It also actually creates a great model that if you have customers with more complex needs or there's something bespoke that needs to be crafted, that that is a great opportunity to build up your professional services business. Yes. So everybody should get a a core implementation, but for those who want to take things further, professional services is, is a, it's a great opportunity to sell those hours and get your customers to a next level. Absolutely. And I was just chatting about this week with somebody because a lot of SaaS people, they don't want services and they're like, no, we don't want professional service. It's going to complicate it. We're product led growth and, and all this other stuff. But there's areas where your customers are just begging for help. Like I think about like data transformation, like ETL mm-hmm. and all that fun stuff. And then other things, you, your team has this expertise and your customers are just trying to get off the ground and getting successful. And so they will pay extra uh, to, re- you know, remove and demystify and just make things easier and for a smoother rollout. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Because one of the things that I found customers expect when they come to a software company that sells a product they expect you to not only be experts in your product, but experts in your industry. Yes. And to be able to give them the best practices guidance for implementing your product in their industry. And that is a wonderful opportunity to sell professional services. And I know people shy away from professional services because it's not recurring revenue. You know, Wall Street loves those SaaS subscriptions because it's very predictable, repeatable revenue. Whereas that professional services is one time, but you can't write off professional services completely because that is something that is going to help you get your product more entrenched with your customers Absolutely. to secure that renewal and furthermore growth as you produce more products, expanding yeah. your footprint with your customer. Preaching to the choir and led many services teams and it was essential, especially when we had super complex stuff. And this was not on our agenda, speaking of always having an agenda for a meeting. So I hope you don't mind if I if, you, if I ask another question or two, because I didn't know we we're gonna go down this road. How do you sniff out these services items? Do they, are, are you allowed or was your team on implementation and allowed in the pre-sales process to be able to feel that, oh, wait, this is going to actually need some services involved, or it was sort of the implementation team one or two weeks in is like, wow, this, this customer needs some help and we should bring in services. Hey, great scenario. And that is something that I think that, you know, companies should actually try and get in front of that. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have your implementation specialists really involved in pre-sales processes, because Mm -hmm. again, that's, that's non-billable time for a billable, you know, resource. 
Um, so I tried to really limit their interaction there. But, you know, certainly there's times, you know, when, you know, to close the deal, we need to bring in someone from, you know, the implementation team to, you know, get a level of comfort with the, you know, with the customer in order to get the final right. signatures on that deal. But for the most part, I really like to focus my teams on templatizing the implementation. You have a basic service offering and you make it very clear to your customer in the sales process. Yep. Customers want to know what they get in an implementation. And I really think to, to build out a successful project, speaking from the customer side, I want to know what services I'm getting from the customer and right. what I'm responsible to bring to the table so that I can resource my internal team as a customer correctly. Right. Because if you come into the into the equation and, and you land at the implementation as a customer and you're expecting to get, you know, a full turnkey service, but that's not what that vendor offers, you're left with huge gaps in your skill set and a non-successful implementation. So I actually worked with our sales team and made sure that they could speak about the implementation process. So, you know, as they were they could coach the customers, you know, these are the kind of people we need on this implementation. Yeah. Here's the level of effort it's going to require. And you would think, you know, at first salespeople are very bashful about that. And it's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't want to scare the customers. Right. It had the absolute opposite effect. Customers grew in confidence because they knew the resources they would need to bring to the table because there was no surprises yeah, after it, that when deal When you closed. just come in as a salesperson with the easy button, you're basically, people, they'll see through, experienced buyers will see through it. They're like, oh, exactly. you don't need anything? I'm like, no, no, it's turnkey, just sign here. And, like, and then next thing you know, it's like, I don't know we needed an IT person around for t five to 10 hours for the first three weeks and to do all this work. And these people aren't around. And suddenly, and then, as you say, three months turns into nine months and, and all these exactly, things. Exactly. Exactly. And, and you know what, it made the, it made the sales reps feel more confident in their sales yeah. uh, because they understood the basic implementation process when they were engaging with their customers, our sales reps were absolutely empowered to understand what this customer needs cannot be accomplished in a basic package. Right. I need to sell them an advanced package. And again, when you get to the professional services level, you can actually pre-bundle a lot of that to make it very easy for the customer and the sales rep to sell it. And only then beyond that, do you need to go to a bespoke solution for a very significant and, and custom project. But you put all those triggers in with your sales team mm -hmm. because they're the ones engaging in the sales process. Keep the implementation specialist, the billable resources, doing the billable work. Yeah. And I'm just curious on your model. Again, everybody's different based on the type of product that they have. Do your implementation specialists also do the project management aspect of things, or are they more like deep into the guts of the system? And then you would have sort of a project manager making sure that files are getting passed and agendas are getting written, things like that. You know, I think this completely depends on the product that you're implementing. So if you're working on a, on a smaller SaaS project, one of the things you do have to consider is, is your customer working in a, an environment where they have a project manager? Right. So let's say you're working with, you know, a smaller company or a rural town government, you'll run into a situation where these people don't have project management experience and they don't have project managers on staff. Yeah. So you need to ensure that your process is adaptable to guide your customers to make good decisions in the implementation and that your materials and process are structured enough that it leads these people through the process without project management. So with yeah. that being said, now, if your customer is buying an entire suite of products, 
you're working with a Fortune 500 customer, absolutely, you're going to need to bring in a project management resource because there's far too many components. But you know, a lot of folks out there who are you know working in these SaaS-based products with shorter turn times, they can actually think about eliminating the project manager manager altogether with a, yeah. a ro robust process. Absolutely, you've got that easy 30-day go in here, learn this, get this set up, and everything good to go it's when you i found is when you start getting into enterprise integrations and all that fun stuff especially the big enterprise sales especially and they'll ask like you know hey okay we're gonna have a call a pre-sales call in the the pm group or the, the you know their whole pm process group wants to talk about like how you roll it out and everything so suddenly that's when everybody starts putting gantt charts and all that fun stuff in the pre-sales phase and everything so yeah that's what they expect yeah yeah. And you've got to be very careful though, because some customers are going to be scared by the Gantt charts. That's yeah, not exactly. their, that's not their thing. Absolutely. That's, it's so funny. Yeah. Certain want to see it and, uh, you know, have that slide tucked in an appendix somewhere if it comes up, but otherwise I like to have that, you know, three slides that I give the sales team to present on, like, here's some faces that show that we've got some real people. Here's our, some logos that shows that we've done it and maybe a lightweight bar process thing or day one through 30, this is, you know, but just a very lightweight process thing, just so they're like, okay, great. You guys have done it. You have a team, you've done it before and you've got a process and everything. Yeah. That's actually a really great technique. And, you know, it, it's, it's something that companies should even consider including that in like the closing packet of documents that goes yeah. over to the customer is that, you know, here's, here's what your implementation includes. It's, you know, like a week by week rundown of here are the major things that you're going to accomplish week by week or month by month in this implementation. And then you tack that onto your SOW yeah. if you've got custom services on top of that. Absolutely. Hey, curious, did you ever do anything like a, like a customer readiness, customer homework packet to, to get them started off the bat or, yeah. Absolutely. And I, I think that is, is, when you're working with these SaaS projects, a lot of the products, you know, a lot of them start billing from day one. Some people have milestones in place where, you know, once the product's fully implemented, you can start that, that revenue recognition clock depends on your model. Yeah. Both models, you want to get rolling really quickly. Yeah. So as soon as that paperwork is signed, you know, we've got so many tools in our CRMs these days that you should be firing out a welcome packet right away yeah. because the customers bought it. People want to get to work, give them resources and an electronic orientation to get them started. Yeah. So when they come into their first meeting, everyone is ready to work. And Absolutely. more importantly, when they come into that first implementation meeting, you want all the right people to sit at that table, to be present at that meeting. Cause you get onto an orientation call and you go through the roll call and you're missing two thirds of the key roles. You're not going to get off to a good start and you're not going to accomplish things. So you really want to make sure that that welcome packet includes things about building your stakeholder team. Yeah. So when you kick off and you go through that live overview of the project and orient to resources, everybody's there. Yeah, no, I love that. And uh, it's so true. Sometimes it's the buyer just says, okay, here's the person who's going to take over. And they're like, wait, what's the product again? And you got to work them through a lot of that stuff can be in that packet that we talked about, right? Like, hey, here's our, here's our standard Excel format for getting your data, right? Like go work on mm -hmm. that for a little bit, you know, all these little things that can accelerate the thing and, and they might not even I, I've seen these packets go out and people are like hey can can I know we said we wanted the kickoff day like the day the contract signs but I just saw the homework packet 
we could really use a week to kind of absorb this and put things stuff together and that sort of urgency on having that immediate phone call kind of goes down yeah as much, you know. well i think i think you also want to be careful about those homework packets when you send a customer a very large quantity of homework to be yes. done <laughs> they freak out it's not going yeah. to get done yeah by sending things in smaller manageable chunks think about it like your inbox when you sit down at your inbox in the morning are you going to write the email that takes an hour to research and put together? Or are you going to go through your inbox and look for all of the quick wins? So the right. things that take two to three minutes to respond to, you're going to clear those out before you get to those major items. Yeah. By sending smaller chunks to your customer, you're keeping them working on something every single day. Yeah. And you're keeping them moving and you're getting them in a habit of using your project of your product rather than slam them with a giant packet of homework. Absolutely. That's, that's the smarter approach. And I'm glad you brought that up. Usually I like using the idea of almost like a marketing campaign, like day one, here you go, here's your data spreadsheet or, you know, that's not day one, but exactly what you're saying. But if you send them, Hey, here's 15 things to go do. People are like, Oh yeah, I'm not, this is not happening and everything. That was a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got to show your customer what's important for them to do because they are new to the product as implementers you're working with the product every single day. And I think even the best implementation specialists start to forget a key concept. One, at one point you were new at this company and you didn't know how to implement this product. Remember your journey? How long did it take you to ramp up? Yeah. You cannot expect that of your customer. You need to help them through the onboarding, just like your coworkers help you learn the product here at the company you work at. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> such great points and you only get those from from going through this did you ever wind up going like any of the low touch approaches with you know getting like an lms technical approach instead of having using implementers or things like that or i'm not sure not everybody's product as we said is is good for that but there's a model that people are using these days oh i think all of those tools are absolutely wonderful I haven't been brave enough to go the no touch model because yeah. I think without a human being in there and it, I, I still haven't overcome that accountability. Barrier I'm the same way. I, I, low touch is where I stand and, and maybe some office hours thrown yeah. in, at least you get the once a week. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, you know, LMS tools are incredibly helpful to the process. Yeah. Um, you cannot scale as an organization unless you are fully investing in customer support centers, knowledge base articles, templatized items for your customers referred to, and most importantly, an LMS. If you are an organization and you are using your implementation specialists to deliver a training on your product, you are throwing money out the window. Oh, when you look exactly. at the price of what you pay, for those implementation specialists to do that, you could put that into an LMS and it would actually be a far more effective training because when people are learning in these systems, especially these new platforms, there's a couple of things you have to keep in mind that some people are visual learners. They like to see text written or they like to see demonstrations. Some people like to hear. Yeah. And a lot of people like to stop, pause, replay and play along in their own platform. And really the only way you can do that is with an LMS. You cannot do that very effectively with an implementation specialist talking at an oh, audience. That's the worst. Yeah. And, and not only that, but some customers we work with on the, I'm bringing them into the, the low touch model is sort of like, well, let's create, instead of throwing every single feature at them, it's like, let's start creating a base level user that everybody's got to go through. And maybe they need to 
get their little certification before they have their, you know, kickoff call or thing. Well, you know, there's all, again, it's all situation dependent and everything like that. And then maybe there's an advanced class again, but you, as you said, the, oh, knowing absolutely. How you're, you, yeah. you have to look at this. I have the, uh, you know, I call it, it's, well, Maslow has this hierarchy yep. of needs, you know, you've got food, clothing, shelter, and I have one for the implementations organization oh, because you, you have to, the basic your pyramid is so critical because that is where you have to get the basics, right? If you don't have the basics installed and people using just simple core features, they're never going to progress because as you get up that particular pyramid, unless they can use the base effectively, they're not going to be able to integrate, you know, they're, they're not going to be able to use advanced features. They're not going to be able to understand how to expand it throughout their organizations. And, you know, I, I like to get closer to, you know, the Nirvana features when they start doing API integrations with other products. That's where you want to get your customers because it makes them so sticky. It makes oh, the yeah. renewal so much easier. Absolutely. And, you know, and you get to the Nirvana, that that peak of the pyramid is features like, you know, the, the AI functionality. But I think if your experience has been like mine, you know, those AI functionalities don't work unless you've gone up the pyramid correctly right. and filled out the base in order. So you really can't, leverage the nirvana features unless you have got a robust base to your program yeah you gotta put the time in absolutely one last question and then we'll move uh, to, to to the non-work stuff but a lot of people that listen to this podcast are you know they've just been handed a department you know or like i've never I, now i own implementation too oh okay right so if you had to give sort of your like top three tips it could be one, two, if you feel it's ultimate, like make sure you do X, Y, and Z, you know, that you experienced when you sort of took over the implementation system, what would your recommendations be? Yeah, I think that implementations should not be some mystical thing. You have to follow <laughs> your gut because these are just normal business problems. So, you know, if your sales org is coming to you and saying, Hey, I've got this renewal coming up and these guys aren't implemented, you know, you have a problem. You've got to reduce the time for the implementation. You need to talk to your implementation team and figure out what are the core things that are taking so long in the implementation. Then you've got your short list. You can stack rank and prioritize this and you can start whittling things down. I mean, like, you know, a common one is, well, we do status meetings every week. What happens on the status calls? Well, not a whole lot. Well, there goes the status call. Let's say, yeah. you know, no meetings without agendas, you know, work right. with your legal organization to incorporate implementation limits start working on front in the in the sales process so a lot of this stuff it's it's actually just a giant logic problem yeah. and i would just break it down there there is no magic bullet to implementations if you have a, a an organization that you've inherited i would say just if it's troubled if there's challenges just break the challenges down into smaller components and start solving them one at a time yeah. and think about what you can do to scale it another key thing i would say to look at people Look at anything your team is doing that's repeatable. Right. Can that be templatized and automated? Because, you know, automation, sure, it does take a little bit of elbow grease to get running, but it pays dividends oh, in the long run. Yeah, that, there's your scalability question. So how do you scale the team without, you know, as you said, 2x sales, 2x people? Like, that does not work. It, <laughs> it's scary. It, it, yeah. it actually is scary when, when, you know, especially when you're working so fast, the, the work queues are full. Yeah. To actually say, I'm going to take time out of every single day to do something that's not going to forward a, a customer implementation right now, but I can reuse this object on every implementation right. going forward. I tell my team, it's like, it's like making an investment. We each have to take an hour 
to invest in our future because it's going to pay dividends. Yeah. Just like, you know, his classic example, those emails that will go out sequentially to go work on X, Y, and Z. It's a classic example. Like who wants to sit down and write those? A lot of people get addicted into the busy stress work and cause like, oh, I'm completing stuff and everything. But those, yeah. those are those are great tips. Yeah. You just be bailing the boat your whole life. It's <laughs> the boat. Don't bail it out. Bailing's easy, you know, but it's tiring. It'll burn you out. Just fix the boat. Yeah. And I've seen the, the, you know, the biggest pushback I get when I try and do this at companies is the sales team saying that's going to make this more complicated. Well, like we just want to basically make this experience just super great and happy and easy. So we don't want to slap them with all these legal terms and the SOW and, and everything like that. That's the pushback I usually get with this stuff. So, yeah. You know, and, and that's actually an easy thing to overcome. It, it's very common. You know, most software MSAs have limitations on the implementation services. Yeah. And, you know, it, it is very common that the, the sales team is going to react negatively because they do see it as a roadblock. But if you resource them with the appropriate tools and knowledge, all of a sudden your implementation process can go from being, you know, just something that has to get done to making your company, making it a market differentiator. Yeah. That if you're apples to apples with the next product, if you have the amazing implementation process that helps your customer get real value very quickly, if you go on those review sites and you compare your old Apple to Apple competitor, you're going to find people are talking about more value coming from your product than the other guy because you're implementing better, stronger, and faster. Yep. Yep. I don't think we could say another word about it. Like, that's a great cherry on the top. So I'm going to just say, so just, just to wrap things up, I usually ask people what their, their newfound hobby was during the COVID season. <laughs> Are you on the, bed, okay. the bread baking or the, the, the ukulele? I know I, I considered the ukulele. I did not get a sourdough starter. I have none of that. So we're both salty Bostonians for people to know. So we're <laughs> exactly. So I, I actually moved back to the United States at the beginning of the pandemic. I had been working in Norway and oh, wow. uh, yeah. I, I was great, very grateful because for pandemic isolation, the Norwegians left me with some really great work-life balance skills. So working from home actually became very easy for me because I was able to separate working life and yeah. home life. So I have to say that I, I think my, my quarantine activity or superpower was, well, first, I didn't get executive platinum flying status. Um, <laughs> I could only make platinum pro on my own. And spending all this time here at home, I think I really just became an, an expert on, you know, living my best life in quarantine. So if yeah. the apocalypse truly does happen, I am, I'm, I'm rock solid. You're good. Um, I'm, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm good. I'll nap. Got lots yeah, of food. And I, I'm good. Yeah, and like really on the topic of food, since I moved back to Norway, I finally have access to a lot more ingredients. So <laughs> in this pandemic, I have been cooking like crazy. I've been cooking my way through South Asia, and wow. I, I think I am reaching expert level with a walk. So wow. I, there you go. There's there you my go. quarantine activity. I, I look forward <laughs> to your 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 ebook with recipes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right. <laughs> May a pleasure. Thanks for geeking out on implementation. Hold on one quick second here. This is it. All right.